United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley Cow Podcast for Epworth United Methodist My name is Amelia Chua. I'm a member of Epworth, and I invite you to join me in the reading of scripture. It's in the Red uh, Pew Bible, page 71. The passage is Luke 10, 1 to 11, then 16 to 20. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask, therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick, who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of this town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 16, whoever listens to you and listens to me, and whoever rejects you, rejects me, and whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent you. 
So 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from the heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word from the gates of the house are on my mind today, not because of victories I sing, having none, but for the common sunshine, the breeze, the largesse of spring, not for the victory, but for the day's work done as well as I was able, not for a seat upon the dais, but at the common table. It's good to be home. Epworth has been home to me. I came here in 2011, uh, awash in the grief of the death of my grandmother, and uh, I found new life here, and so did she. (laughs) And coming back now, I know that this is not the same Epworth. It's not that Epworth, and uh, I'm not the same me. I'm not the same pastor. Our journeys have changed us along the way. And I'm excited to get to know where God has taken you since we were last together. I'm looking forward to learning where your passions are, what challenges you face, I'm excited to see what God is about to do in and through and in spite of all of us. And as as Kristen, I'm very excited to work with her. She and I have worked together uh, in leadership on the Queer Clergy Caucus and in conference things and general church things. And uh, we think that our gifts are complementary. I don't <laughs> I don't think she knows how stubborn I am, but. <laughs> We both trust God to do a new thing, so I'm grateful to be here and grateful to work with her. We are sent out and we return again, and then we get sent out one more time. And that's what's happening in Luke's gospel that we just heard the story read. As he prepares for the next phase in his ministry, Jesus sends out his followers two by two to bring God's good news to the world. Jesus tells them, if anyone doesn't receive you, Shake the dust off your feet as you depart in testimony against them. What a dramatic thing to do. Of course, these instructions to shake off the dust come following the incident in chapter 9, where that Samaritan village would not accept Jesus. And James and John said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus turns to them and says, what the? Fire from heaven? Let's dial it back. We just shake the dust off our feet when we are not accepted. But this imagery makes me wonder, while we're busy shaking the dust off our feet at somebody else, who's shaking their dust off at us? Whose message are we not receiving? Because we're too busy banging our sandals together. What good news do we miss out on hearing? And what do we do when, sent out two by two, we suddenly have to shake the dust off at our co-evangelist, the people that we are supposed to be in ministry with, the brother or sister across the aisle from us? 
Bishop Carlton Pearson was a, is a Pentecostal preacher, and he tells a story of a time when he got very close to God. He was, he was growing in his walk with Christ, and he decided that um, he, was, he had reached a point where he could, um, he could solve problems by speaking them, in, speaking them away. And he talks about getting into arguments with his wife and uh, trying to end the argument by saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> And she would holler back, well, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And they go on like that for a while, shaking their dust off at each other until one of them gave up. Now, I don't want to spend any time, more time than I have to, talking about my work on the commission on a way forward. What's done is done, and in the wake of the decisions of the General Conference, uh, there's all kinds of plans and strategies to withhold this and break off that. And... I've consistently said I'm not wasting any more time on this denominational civil, de- denominational civil war. Uh, it's not for me. And I'm afraid that people misunderstand me to mean that I don't care what happens to the United Methodist Church. I absolutely care. I care deeply. We fought so hard and there's a lot at stake. Justice has been deferred along the way. <clears throat> But I believe also, as I said at the annual conference gathering, that we've made an idol out of the United Methodist Church. And my problem is that it gets in the way of our doing the gospel. All the time and energy and money we've spent on fighting this battle, meanwhile, kids are still dying in the streets in a place like Richmond, California. Addiction and the lack of recovery resources are still tearing our families apart and destroying lives. Lack of access to mental health care is driving people to the absolute edge. And beloved children of God are being dehumanized at our border. We don't have time to spend worrying about the denominational stuff. And what I mean is the first is the thing that I meant that I said at the first commission meeting that there was. I said if I believed that it would save one soul, I would burn the United Methodist Church to the ground and scatter the ashes. And I can... I can just hear Jesus turning to me and saying, fire from heaven. (laughs) Dial it back. (laughs) But I believe that when the mechanism that we've used to further our ministry in the world becomes the focus of our work, it's time to refocus. When the institution becomes the empire, it's time to find new ways of resistance. And for me, I've been calling that forward anyway. Going forward anyway is to go forward doing the gospel by whatever means are available to us against whatever odds we face, despite any obstacles that are placed in our path. And not looking back, this is forward anyway. And I have to acknowledge my love and admiration for the church that I've just come from serving. Five years I spent with Open Door United Methodist Church. And they really showed me what a small congregation of committed Christians can accomplish together. When Open Door learned last year that only 30% of the kids in our school district were reading at grade level, um, and that among African American and Latino students, those numbers were in the single digits. We wondered, what can we possibly do? This little congregation, what can we possibly do? But then United Methodist Women So many good stories start out with, but then United Methodist Women. (laughs) But then United Methodist Women learned about a program through the Children's Defense Fund called Freedom Schools. 
And next thing I knew, that little church had launched their freedom school and raised $75,000 and hired six staff members to teach over the summer, not just to teach those kids to read, but to teach them a love of reading and to help them realize the power that they have for civil action and social justice in the world. They engage not only those kids, but their families, the community members, the school district, and the, the, the effects just ripple outward. And that school is ongoing. It has about four weeks left, and I'm going to be a reader there on Tuesday, and I can't wait to sit with those kids and read some book that they give me, maybe my favorite book from when I was a kid. Um, and I'm just inspired by what a small group of people is able to do together when they're committed to the gospel. And I know that you all have been doing some of that great work here too, and I want to learn about it. I'm especially interested to learn about the work you've been doing on the border. Um, I have not had much experience with it, and I, uh, I'm excited to see what God is doing. Don't miss out on what happens in this Luke's, in Luke's gospel story. What I find most compelling in this text is that the disciples return to tell the story of their evangelical efforts. They don't tell Jesus how many people rejected them. They don't say how many times they had to shake the dust off their feet. They don't make excuses about why the work didn't get done. They don't talk about how they struggled to make ends meet. They say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons, even the powers and principalities, even the unseen forces of evil in the world submit to the gospel of bearing witness. And there's joy in that statement. They said, Lord, it worked. It actually worked. Even the demons submit to your name. When we went out there to meet people, we found them where they were. We found people in need of help and of, and of love and of care and of, they needed somebody to bear witness to their life. And by our showing up, it worked. It just worked. One of the things I preached at the annual conference gathering was that I fear that we have lost the joy of our salvation. We get caught up in the politics of the church and we forget what a great blessing it is to be a part of the church, to be a part of um, the ministry of the gospel in the place where we have been called at such a time as this. One of the hallmarks of my preaching at Epworth has always been the way my grandmother's gospel has sort of sprung out from me even when I least expected it sometimes. And I've been preaching Grandma Flo's stories for a decade now. And, you know, everywhere I go, I encounter people who, um, who know her name or know some of her stories, retell their, her stories to me. And I can't help but be reminded that her steadfastness and hope and love was inspiring to me, informative to me. But most astonishing to me was her capacity for joy. Because her, her life was not always joyful. Like many marginalized people, there wasn't a lot of room. The circumstances didn't make room for joy in her life, but she found it anyway. She would say to me, don't let the devil steal your joy. She always talked in terms of the devil. <laughs> don't let the devil steal your joy. I might say, don't let our circumstances take our joy away. Don't let our circumstances um, allow us to forget the joy of our salvation. And joy in itself is an act of resistance. To risk hope and joy means to risk looking foolish, seeing something that the world cannot see. As we work together, I hope we'll work in joy 
justice and joy and God will delight as we sing. The only limit to what we're able to do in Christian service is the extent to which we believe that we are called out. As soon as we think we've done enough in the world, we've lost track of the gospel. We're sent out again and again like sheep among wolves to encounter serpents and scorpions and demons. And yet ain't it a privilege to be bearers of this gospel to a, good, a, a, a world that's just dying for it. People who are dying for the gospel and they don't even know it. They need some good news. They need someone to see where they are, to meet them where they are. We're sent out to be gospel preaching and dust shaking people. When we're called to give an account for the work we've done for Christ in the world, what will our report be? Dust or joy, explanations or exclamations? Will those we reach know that they have, that the kingdom of God has come near to them that day? By the grace of God, may it be so. Amen. Amen.